Story number one. The Sheriff of Fairyland, part one. Written by Bloody Tears of Rage. Elves. In the old days, slaying a dragon required a runic sword, an enchanted arrow, or a knightly warrior of great purity. As it turns out, the brush guard of the 1978 Ford Bronco would do the job just nicely. The dragon was a smallish one, two-legged technically, a verum. It had been in the process of chewing through a wattle and a drab wall of a peasant cottage to get to the low-cost sylvan farm family hiding inside when it heard what sounded like a challenging snarl from a fellow beast. The verum turned to roar out in reply, just in time to wake two and a quarter tons of Detroit rolling iron to the face at thirty miles an hour. The Ford drove over the head of the long and snaky neck and turned back around, and stopped beside the half-ruined farmhouse wall. Front wheels pinned down on the dragon's wing. The bumper of the front grill was splattered with softly, glowing organish blood and a few broken teeth. The engine shut off, and the only sound now was the tinkle of pixie bells from the nearby forest and the shallow, gurgling breaths of a dying worm. A woman climbed out of the bronco, a human, a tall for her and heavy set, all dirty cargo pants, worn-out chambray, and a steel-toed engineer boot. Brizzy, dull brown hair was pulled into a sloppy ponytail. The left side of her face was mostly old scars, the eye on that side covered by a patch. The right side was unmarked, but a heavy jaw and a coarse featured. She had been the ugliest woman in the state of Mississippi, enough times and by enough different people for her to assume that it was probably true. The only thing about her one could call beautiful was the medallion hanging prominent from her chest, a silver oak leaf entwined with a golden flame, glittering brightly even when shadowed. With a sigh, the woman stared around the farmyard, taking in the shattered remains of the coop and the shed, the splinters of the orchard, and a pair of legs and a lower torso when Sylvan homespun lay a pool of blood. The upper body was nowhere to be seen. The woman cursed softly and pulled the lever-action Marlin rifle out of the truck. You all still alive in there? she asked. For several seconds there was no answer. Then a nervous, Is the dragon dead? in a high, lilting voice. The woman jacked the marlin's lever and put a three-five-seven through the verum's broken face from two feet away, then another just to be sure. Scales flew and brain matter stained the dirt. It's dead enough. The family came out, slowly uncertain, two adult sylvans, slender, knife-eared, probably early middle-aged, though owls didn't really show that the way the humans did. Sylvan, Drow, Walding, and High Fay, they all kept that youthful, sharp bone fashion model look until they were small, senile. It was the eyes that tiredness in them that gave away their age. Then the three children, one toddler and two who would have been in about school age if Sylvan peasants had schools, all in green and brown homespun, none obviously bleeding, and all obviously terrified. Is this all of you? the woman asked. All except Tyrell, our oldest, the husband replied. Olman dies, flicking uneasily between the dead Virum and the human looming over him. He had his bow and tried to distract the beast while we gathered the other children. His wife's eyes suddenly found the bloodstained legs lying in the dirt and she let out a wail. A high, keening sob of utter heartbreak. She sank to her knees, clutching her three younger ones as she wept. 
The husband simply closed his eyes and swallowed hard, mourning in his son's name. The human knelt down in the dragon carcass and fingered the true silver chain around its neck. A moment's search brought a small pendant into view, crossed spears in a wreath of willow leaves, a hard tug at a snap free. Recognize this? The sylvan father stared at the pendant for a long moment, fear warring with sorrow and hate in his eyes. Baron Saltharion, his tower is two leagues east, across the dell. His land start once you cross the brook there. He let his gaze drift back to the remains of his child. I had heard, he said, his voice brittle, that Baron Salathian was a quarrel with and an enderial. Long may he rule us. The woman sighed and stretched her back, cross-country driving, and the old truck was rough on the spine, even with the fey realm's lower gravity. Feudal crap again, she spat. High Queen warned the nobles to settle their rears down. Our Baron reminds us that the High Queen rules of Tenerog, but he rules here. The Sylvan Father's voice was sorrow-beaten, resigned. No doubt Baron Salathian feels the same. The High Queen has rules as far as she can reach, the woman's corrected, which also means as far as I can reach. Stepping into the rear of the Bronco, she began rummaging inside. I'll get your boy's remains out of the critter for burial. She pulled out a chainsaw out of the truck and shook it, feeding the slosh of a half-tank. Then I'm going to head to the Baron's, and then I'm going to do me some reaching. Baron Salathian's tower was like the most high-fay architecture, a thing of swooping organic lines and gentle curves and rounded minaret, high-fay disdained straight lines and hard angles as things for peasants' constructions. To the woman from Mississippi, it looked like a giant stonework phallus. There was no wall or moat around the tower, only beds of flowers of every color known, and some that human language had no words for. These beds made fierceful whirls above the tower's base and spun out into the surrounding glade. Belled pixies flitted about the place, gathering nectar, while meadow sprites and a few sylvians moved amongst them, tending to the weeding. A single meandering path wound through the flowers to the tower's gate. Soon the sweet clover kept trim by the grazing of unicorn fowls. The unicorns scattered in alarm as the ford roared up the path, tires slinging clots of mud and clover into the air. Leaving ruts, the truck braked hard, sliding into a stop a few yards from the tower's portcullis, where a pair of silver-mailed high-fane knights stood guard. As they gaped at the strange apparition, nervously fingering their spears, the driver honked a horn. Long and hard. Who dares come thus into the desma of Baron Sotheline? Long may he rule us. The guard began pull the bluster as the woman climbed out of the bronco. Ninth of his lineage, scourge of... Yeah, yeah, shut up, she snapped, interrupting him. She tapped the medallion on her chest with her hand, the lever gun dangling from her right. Both arms were coated into the elbow in virum blood. See this? Keeper of the High Queen's Peace. That's who dares. Tell the Baron to get down here. I got something to give him. The Baron is occupied. The other knight sniffed. He is preparing to ride a Chavaki against the lands of the Baron and Derail and... No, he ain't. He's bringing his rear down here and talking to the High Queen's Emissary. All the High Queen's Emissary can go up and get him. The knight arched the delicate eyebrows. Emissaries are normally respectful to the host's diplomat. Oh, 
I am being diplomatic. See how I'm standing here talking to you instead of just walking in there over your body. That's diplomatic as hell. She smiled tightly, a practically unpleasant expression on an already unpleasant face. Now, are you going to go fetch the Baron, or is diplomacy time over? You have defiled the betters with your presence long enough, she-beast. The knight spat, bringing his spear to bear two-handed. Take your contraption and be gone. Your blood shall fertilize these lands. The woman sighed. It's going to be like this, huh? Shame. She slung the rifle over her shoulder with a free hand and took a step forward. It really was a shame. The elf knight had a fine chiseled face and made Orlando Bloom look like a pug dog. Too damn bad. The knight scowled, hesitant to make a moment at the sight of the High Queen's medallion as his spear was aimed at. Then he thrust. The move was likely a motion made by an elf, graceful, elegant, and almost a dance. Not nearly fast enough. The woman sidestepped the thrust with the room to spare. The left hand caught the spear and yanked the knight towards her, off balance. Right fist swung over her arm to punch the elf knight's nose, seeming to explode across his face. The elves in general, and Haifei in particular, are far lovelier than any human could ever hope to be. The movements are so graceful and fluid as to be a living heart. They are possessed of magics both subtle and mighty, and share a deep, fundamental connection to their world and all things that live upon it. But elves are short, skinny, bird-boned, and stringy-muscled. Having evolved in a world of lower gravity, higher oxygen levels, and with magic to cushion the smooth their way through life, even the strongest high-fey paladin or most skillful drow assassin was weaker than a human, less durable than a human, slower than a human. The knight fell asprawl in front of the portcullis, blood puddling around the winged helmet. Sir Alharian! The knight's partner cried out, hefting his own spear. Murder! No, he's still breathing, the woman replied easily. But you poke at me with that thing, and we might just have a murder. The knight raised his weapon and lunged. End of part one. Part number two. Baron Sultalian and his retinue arrived at the tower entrance to find one of his sentries lying in a pool of blood and the other being used as a door knocker. A large, eye-patched woman held an unfortunate elf knight by the hair, pounding his face first into the portcullis's bars. She released him as the Baron's party stopped in the entryway. The knight collapsed in male heap. The woman and the owl stared at each other for a moment, the woman evaluating the men-at-arms fanned out protectively and limbering the blows, and then there were six high-fey archer knights, the regular guard types by the look, a couple of unarmed sylvan servants trying to fade into the background, a high-fey in scholar's robes who looked like he wanted to throw up, two high-fey in overly decorated armor that resembled something a pimp would wear to the Dungeons and Dragons conventions, flower-etched shoulder guards of velvet half-capes and ermine trim, and worse, one of the two... Should be her guy. Hey, which one of y'all is Baron Salathian? The snotty-looking of the two pumped-out owls had a haughty toss of his head. I am the lord of the house, he drew himself up. Obviously, obviously put out that he was still a good seven inches shorter than her. How dare you assault my retainers thus? She shrugged and popped the crumpled knight on her boot. Eh? I actually told this one I'd kill him, but sometimes I'm just too nice. 
Name's B.J. Bellemy. She tapped the leaf and flame medallion hanging on her chest. Keeper of the High Queen's Peace. If you all step out here, I got something I think's yours. A sneer, oddly beautiful, rolled along the Barrett's lips. The kind of thing Hollywood, her A-listers, and boy band heartthrobs wished that they could pull off. Really? And I heard that the High Queen had chosen a human from the poisonous world as a remissary, not a she-cyclops. Nay, father, the chuckled the other pump knight, that is obviously an ogre. No mere cyclops is so ghastly to face and form. You're attracting my attention, Junior, Belemi warned the younger off. You do not want my attention. Indeed, I can imagine few men would want your attentions. Belemi snorted and shook her head. Walked right into that one, didn't I? She motioned curtly for the elves to follow and walked to the rear of her vehicle. The robe elf rushed to the baron's side. My lord, I must advise that you tread lightly here. To act against the keeper of the High Queen's peace is to act against the High Queen herself. And the High Queen is in Terranog, the Baron's son argued, weaving the advisor away. My father is a master of these lands, and I uphold our rights and dignities that he sees fit. The Baron raised a hand, palm up. A purplish glow gathered there, and a moment later a similar glow formed around the portcullis. He made a lifting gesture as the barren gate slid upwards until they rested on its catch and the way that was open. The baron strode through, following by his knight. The others lingered behind, sighing and directing the servants to tend to the fallen sentries. "'Tell me if this is yours or not,' Belemi said as she dragged a large wrapped bundle out from the back of her bronco and heaved it to the ground at the baron's feet, nearly splattering his boots." He crushed and raggedly severed dragon heads, still dripping, stared up at them. Someone, Baron Selethane said coldly, has been very presumptuous with dealing with my property. The other jade scale verums are nearly irreplaceable. Then maybe you should have kept it at home, the woman answered, matching the Baron with all vocal ice. The sting was over in Inderail's farmlands. It killed a Sylvan's mother and two children in one house and ate a boy at another. Is that all? The Baron's son laughed. And we have much worse than that exchange. The Sylvans can breed more brats for free. But the good verum costs... He trailed off, looking confused, and then turned to his advisor. How much did the verum cost, Brulof? One hundred and sixty coils of gold dust, my lord. The bailiff fidgeted unhappily, not liking the look of the High Queen's emissary's face. But his duty was to provide answers, so answer he did, plus ten silver every moon for care and feeding. One hundred and six! The Baron's son seemed less amused now. If we kill every presence an Enderail has, it will only add up to a hundred and six squares. Blemony gave them a glance before returning his stare to the Baron. He met her eyes rapidly enough. So you admit that this is your dragon and that you sent it to Enderel's lands on purpose? Of course, it is part of the Chofa key. A subtle hand gesture sent the archer knights fanning out to flank their baron. Hands at the quivers. Baron Enderel has insulted me and his hesitation that fireball flowers are more pleasing than night song blossoms and the banquet centerpiece. Uh, such an offense requires a vigorous chastening. Uh-huh. 
Bellamy noticed that the archers' movement and shifted to keep them all in view of a one good eye. And you don't challenge Enderail to a duel or something because... She spoke as she unslung her rifle and brought it low and ready. The Baron seemed genuinely appalled by such a suggestion. And risks spilling the high-fay blood over such a trifle. Ridiculous. But spilling silver blood is fine. Enderail has affronted me with his ill-considered opinions. A chowachi through his lands is a proper, measured response. Baron Enderail will suffer inconvenience by the loss of his peasants, and the farm and my whites will get to practice their craft and living targets, all without risk of actual harm to anyone. Except the Sylvans. Anyone who matters. Belemi let out a long sigh. You know, the more you talk, the more I have to remind myself what the High Queen said about you nobles. Be circumspect, is what she told me. See, she's all about justice for her subjects, no matter who they are. Sylvan, or Highfay, or whatever. Protect the innocent, the punish the guilty. But nobles are a special case, because if you take down a guilty noble, that creates a little power vacuum, and all the noble neighbors fight over the scraps he leaves behind. You got murder and disorder, no less, and that's why I have to be circumspect, she says. The High Queen Lothlania is wise, the Baron's son smirked, in that, if not, in all other things. Behind him, the bailiff winced and put his face in his hands. The Baron pursed his lips, considering. A stray breeze stirred in long flaxen hair and ruffled the fur on his cape. The pixie bells had gone silent, the tension in the air was driving the nectar gathering to the ground. The sylvan gardeners and the flower beds watched and chewed their lips. Speaking of circumspect, then, the baron said carefully, what do you hope to accomplish by this uh, confrontation you have caused here? Ideally, you cancel the stupid raiding party of yours, surrender yourself to my custody, and I take you to Turnarog to face the queen's judgment for murdering her subjects and generally being a jerk. I see. The baron looked at the six archer knights at his flanks, and his son standing proud in his armor behind him. Hand on health, he looked at his mighty tower, his many servants, his lands around that were his. He chuckled just a little. And do you expect that this ideal of yours will come to pass? The big woman shrugged. Not really. That's why I said it's an ideal. Thy queen's idea of how keeping the peace in Fairyland should work. Speaking realistically, I figure that critter of yours killed four people and was about to kill five more. For a total of nine, so as long as I keep the body count there or less, that means the war won't happen. She won't yell at me too much for the solution. Don't quite match her ideal. The Baron's right hand drifted to his sword hilt, while the left began to glow, softly in a purplish. I think you overestimate how much power the High Queen's medallion gives you this far from Tarnalog. Belemi eased sideways towards the truck. She shook her head. The medallion don't give me power to do it. It just gives me the right. There was a silence, a stillness, every hand and foot motionless, not even a breath taken. A stife, a brittle, a piece lasted, a one heartbeat, then two... And then it shattered. The Baron's hand was growing shot forward, and a rush of diffuse purple light clawing at the human, like a dozen little hands grasping and holding, trying to bear her to the ground. 
but she fired at the same moment. A rushed up hip shot jerked slightly off target by his spell and caught the Baron right in the shoulder. The shielding enchantment of his armor sparked and died. The floral engraving pauldron and the true silver mail under it slowed, but couldn't stop the jacketed 357 magnum. And the Baron's shoulder was blasted into ruin and bloody meat. The purple light vanished and the unseen hands no longer gripped. She leapt behind the bronco crouched down, putting the metal between herself and the arrows that were already knocked in a bowstring. One of the archer knights was still in her field of view. His bow swung towards her, string drawing back. He was only following his baron's orders, but you buy your ticket, you take your ride. She put the buckhorn sight on his chest and blew his heart to tatters. The arrow went into the ground. Other arrows rattled off the bronco's battered hide. New dings and nicks long amongst the old ones. As she worked the rifle's lever, she had a sudden memory of the day when she was eight years old, playing cowboys and Indians with some boy cousins, some rusty old cap guns with a stick and a kite string for real Apache bow, arguing over who got to be who and whether they were dead or just winged. No need to argue that today. More arrows struck the fort, weird. Elves were puny, but they were damn good shots. It was like them to waste arrows shooting at something they couldn't hit. Unless they were trying to pin her down for some reason. She turned just in time to see the two knights coming around the front of the truck, out of blindside. They had dropped the bows, rushing in with swords, slim bladed and gently curved, ideal for the use with the unicorn back. The one in front caught a slug that blew the midst of the blood out of the back of his helmet, and the survivor came on, slashing before she could cycle the action. Had the elf aimed low, his blow might have landed, but he went for her head and an overarm cut, and a near panic slash of her rifle barrel knocked the blade aside. Steadied, she followed the motion with a butt stroke to the face before he could recover. The knight was knocked back, rubber-legged, giving her time to recock her marlin, a 357 to the chest where the contact distance sent him to the next world. She tried to get a look through the Bronco's window, but at the remaining hours were up to. She got just a momentary glimpse before an arrow cracked the passenger's side glass. She saw the Baron, white-faced but still on his feet. The Baron's son was at his side, both his hands and the Baron's wound glowing yellow. Some sort of healing spell, probably. Two of the archers hovered protectively, shooting. The third was lying on the ground. She hadn't shot that one. Why would it be down like that? The answer came a split second after the question, in the form of an arrow streaking through the clover under the bronco. It missed a cough narrowly enough, and then the broadhead sliced across the shaft of a boot. Blemmy got herself in front of the front tires. She had held the rifle above her head and fired a blind shot across the bronco's hood, recocked and did it again. This time a pair of arrows skidded across the truck's hood, just as she got her hands back down. She smirked nastily, as if she dug three shells out of the cargo pocket and fed them into the loading gate without looking. She'd taken the old cowboy lesson to heart and opted for a rifle that could fire the same round as a backup pistol, so she only had to carry one type of ammo. The 357 Magnum was small enough to be quick loading and easy to carry but big enough to do the job on most anything in the Fey Realms. She stuck the rifle up and the blind fired again. Hopefully, she had the elves trained now. Working the lever, she poked the gun up, hands again. But this time, she didn't fire. 
and she jerked the rifle back down and let the expected arrows pass overhead. As soon as they did, she popped up, elbow on the hood, the two of the knights were reaching for the quivers the third was needing, arrow already knocked. She put the sights on that one and shot him through the ribs before he could even get his bowstring drawn. Quickly jacked the lever and shifted aim to another archer. Rushed the shot and missed. Tried again to hit her man just before he could release his own arrow. The elf's arrow broke against the truck fender as he fell, clutching his belly. She drew a bead on the third archer, but he had already dropped his bow and was turning to run. Fine with her if he wanted to quit. She held her fire and let him go, shifting her attention back to the two nobles. Too late. End of part two. Part number three. She'd exposed herself for too long, leaning across the hood. The Baron Solathian, whether from healing, magic, or pure spiteful will, was still in the fight. The purple light enveloped her head and arms. The unseen little hands clutched and clawed, dragging her. The Baron's right arm was useless, hanging meat, but his left hand curled and pulled ablaze with power. She braced her legs and tried to fight it, tried to use her extra mass and the Ford's bulk to anchor herself, but the Baron was having none of it. A slash of his hand and she was dragged sideways around the front of the truck, pulled harder as more of her came into the Baron's view as the purple glow spread. The rifle was yanked from her hand nearly breaking her fingers and thrown away into the flower beds. Belemi stood trying to hold herself back instead, lunged forward, Leading with her left shoulder, the effect was to turn her sideways so that either momentarily being pulled left side first. This put her right hand into the Baron's line of sight and the glowing around it weakened, the invisible grip slackening just enough to let her reach into her front pocket. The elf magic toward her, grasping her, spun her around and slammed her into the side of the bronco, pinning her there while the wall of force. The Baron's hand was pushing outwards now, his teeth bared in the rictus of pain-fueled rage. With a gesture, he pulled her towards him and flung her up against the truck again. The back of her head bounced off the sheet of metal as she saw stars. Satisfying as that must have been, the magical effort cost him and the purple light began to dim. The force holding her in place went from feeling like the sumo wrestler dogpiling her to maybe two and a half. More importantly, the hand in her pocket still had a good grip. The Baron's son saw his father weakening and drew his sword, a heavier version of the knight's weapon, a glow with engravings of Alvin ruins. Your head shall go on the wall of the hunting lodge, Algris, he taunted as he advanced on her, careful to not block the Baron's magic by getting directly between them. And every present's head I take in Kjavaki, I shall take in your name. What think? He was still four steps away from her when the gunshot split the air, cutting him off. It didn't hit anything, but the two that came after it did. The Baron's son put a hand to his belly and looked down as the blood welling as he punctured chainmail there. He looked up and saw the smoking, ragged hole in the woman's pocket. He staggered, and he tried to use his sword to prop himself up and he went to kiss his knees, almost within touching distance of her. A cry of pain was just the beginning of his throat when the gun boomed again, and the Baron's son saw no more. Baron Selethane gave a high, wordless sob, a heart-rending wail that matched the cry of the sylvan whose child the Verum had eaten. 
His son lay still in the clover, and the black of his head was blown out. The baron strained, searching his magic to the utmost, trying to smash his hated woman into the steel behind her, trying to grind it to paste. But he was weakening, wounded, failing. Even the rage and hate of his soul-scrolling anguish could only keep him going for so long. Bailiff, he gasped, kill her, kill her for me, I order it. The robed owl stood to the tower's doorway. He was shaking and his hands were balled into fists, but he did not move from that spot. The baron dead glanced back over his shoulder at his vassal. Kill her, bailiff, to take my sword and cut out her heart. No, I can't keep holding her. The bailiff sighed and shut his eyes. There was a wetness in the cheek that could have been a tear, but he still made no move. The baron's arm began to sag as the glow of his magic dimmed further. The woman was straining against him now, moving bit by bit. He focused on the hand in her pocket and the weapon that must be in there. The weapon that had taken his child in there. He sought to push it down and away. She struggled to bring it to bear on him. Bailiff, kill her and I will give you everything. The barony, all that I have, kill her and it's all yours. My lord, said the bailiff, voice steady and face suddenly resolute. I am your vassal and need no bribe to do my duty. He raised his eyes, jaw set. But I will not act against the queen. The baron's eyes narrowed and darted left and right, looking for options. But the retainers that he had on hand were all dead, dying or out of the fight. The rest of his fighting owls were leagues away, gathering on the border of Enderrail's lands. The servants were mere sylvan peasants, useless even if he had a willing to debase himself so far as to plead for their help. His magic was fading, the only question was whether it would run out before he passed out from the strain and blood loss. There were only two options remaining. One of those was to surrender to the High Queen's pet human beast, which he had the high fay of his stature would have no option at all. No. There was only one path left for the noble of an ancient high fay pedigree. The purple glow from around Bellamy's body vanished, and the Baron dropped his left hand to his belt, fumbled for a dagger, and charged. The age-old battle cry of the Downland Glades Fay was on his lips, though it came out as a rasping, breathy snarl. Everything he had left he put into crossing the dozen paces between them. But the elf was slower than a human. Bellamy's ham came out of a pocket before the Baron had taken two steps. In it was a scarred old snub-nosed revolver, hammer bobbed and barrel chopped. The gun was used as a knife-fight distance. There was a single round left in the cylinder. The Baron was just over halfway there, and when she brought the muzzle to bear to his chest, there was a blast of light and flame that filled the Baron's whole vision. And then he reached her, touched her, the vile thing that had taken all the honor from him. He clinched with her, stabbing upwards, but his arm was slow to respond, feeble. The tip of his blade merely scratching at her through her clothes. Then he fell from his hand. His knees buckled as he slid down her, leaving a smear of blood. He was having trouble breathing, coughing out blood, tumbling onto his back. He could barely see her now and she stood over him, reloading. Curse you, he breathed. You have extinguished a glorious lineage. Bellamy sighed and shook her head. Ah, I just put down another criminal. No more, no less. 
but by the time she'd spoken, Baron Selethane was beyond hearing. Seeing no immediate threats remaining, she started tromping through the bed of flowers of color through the little girl's dream, looking for her rifle. It felt like she might be bleeding from the Baron's final stab, but in the Fey realm you learned what to prioritize. Terrified pixies burst from cover as she fled at every step, while the Sylvan Gardeners watched her with unreadable eyes. She found the marlin without too much trouble, checked it to make sure that the muzzle hadn't gotten plugged with dirt or pixie guts or something, and then began stuffing the cartridges into the loading gate. Once satisfied, she slung the rifle over and pulled up her shirt and checked the cut. Just an oozing scratch. Most of the blood on her was elvish. While she did all of this, the bailiff stepped out of the tower's gateway, surveying the battlefield. Seeing that one of the knights that she'd shot was still alive, he quickly summoned a group of servants to carry the wounded elf inside. A winged meadow sprite was given instructions to fetch a healer from the nearest village. Gardeners were tasked with gathering up the dead, his orders given. The bailiff knelt beside the fallen lord, whispering something, and brushed the dead elf's eyes closed. The servants had brought the shield-bearing Stacelethane family crest and were placing the baron on it when B.J. Belemi got back into a bronco. The bailiff still stood beside it, supervising the impromptu pallbearers. She gave her a slightly nervous look from the corner of his eye as she came up next to him. Um, are you going to kill me, Lady Emissary? Well, I don't know, she drawled, popping herself against the truck. Are you going to do something stupid like attack me or go kill a bunch of farmers because you don't like their boss's taste in party favors? I have no plans to do so, Lady Emissary. She shrugged. Then neither do I. They watched the servants raise the baron on the bayer and carry his corpse away. They both looked and watched as the breeze stir pennons flying in the tower. The jingle of pixie bells began again to pull the air. I appreciate what you did back there, she said after a moment. You most likely saved Maria. The bailiff's voice was heavy with the weight of the choice that he'd made. I literally did nothing, Lady Emissary. Bellamy nodded. That's right, and you did it at exactly the right moment. Despite the situation, the bailiff couldn't help but puff out a single short laugh at that. Seriously, she went on, you could have stabbed me and got yourself a barony out of the deal. Thanks for turning that down. I'm a loyal subject to the Baron, but a loyal subject to the High Queen as well. My Baron was, um, in the wrong. Besides, even if I had tried, I doubt that you would have managed to slay me anyway. He cast a meaningful look at the blackened hole in a pants pocket. The muzzle of a backup gun was still poking through. Yeah, probably, she agreed, but maybe not. Anyway, Selethane set a price on my life at one barony. I reckon I can agree with that as an appraisal. The bailiff turned to look at her. She was still staring thoughtfully at the tower's flags. Barony needs a baron, and all the other arsehole nobles will start cutting throats over it. Lots of innocent folks will die, and the High Queen will yell at me. You seem to have your crap together, and you're loyal to the crown, so you want it. The bailiff was silent for a while, fussing with his robes and staring at the blood on the clover. I will not say that the idea does not appeal, Lady Emissary, he said, picking his words, nor say that there is no merit in it. The Baron has um, had no heirs to save his son, and if we do not have a legitimate lord, our neighbors will indeed make this place a battleground of ambitions. 
However, elevating my humble self to the ranks of nobility is not merely a matter of saying it and making it so. She raised her hand to cut him off. I got a bunch of blank patents of nobility in the truck. All we got to do is fill in your name. He just stared at it as she opened up the door and grabbed a piece of folded parchment that clipped to the Bronco sun visor. Once unfolded and flattened against the fender, it proved to indeed be a royal patent, declaring that Blank would be elevated to the rank of Blank, Lord Blank, in a gratitude for the services rendered to the crown, etc., etc. Thy queen has already signed this, the bailiff blurted out, scandalized. This is a magical seal at the bottom. Why would you carry an entire bundle of pre-signed Blank patents of nobility with you everywhere? For the same reason I keep things like guns and chainsaws and a leprechaun repellent handy. The same reason why the High Queen chose me to be the keeper of the peace. The bailiff seemed confused by that. Because you're an enormous and terrifying? She frowned. That wasn't the kind of thing to say to a lady. Even one who was enormous and terrifying. No, because I believe in being prepared. Prepared for what, Lady Emissary? Anything, everything... When you're upholding the High Queen's law and order in a magical freaking fairyland, you've got to be prepared for whatever. She pulled a ballpoint pen from her shirt pocket and thrust it into his hand. If you really believe in the High Queen's ideas, becoming a baron is your chance to join the team and maybe do some good in this fricked up world. The bailiff thought about it for a moment, took a deep breath, and then began to write. End of story.